Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. So a regenerative business, it's basically people who have these enterprises who are trying to get away from the old extractive models and really create triple bottom line solutions, something that's helping the people involved, who it's impacting, how it's sourcing things, but then it's also positively affecting the planet. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Emma. How are you doing? I'm good. We're doing this rather early today, but that's fine. Yeah, it is a little early. It's okay because we both have coffee. Yeah, I have my, and it's really delicious this morning. I'll give a little secret for flavor on my coffee. I add a little bit of reishi powder in the grounds. What's the reishi for? Oh, reishi just, you know, mushroom powders are are good for all kinds of things. A lot of people are making coffee now out of mushrooms. Mushroom powders their kind of superfood kind of thing. Do you buy a certain powder or you just get the mushroom powders on their own and just like put it in the coffee filter with the coffee? Yeah. I just bought like a big bulk bag of reishi powder quite a long time ago. It lasts a long time. And I just sprinkle a little bit on the ground. I also sprinkle the reishi sometimes and it has a real, what's that word? Umami flavor. Is that the word? Yeah. Like the way that mushrooms taste. Yeah. It adds a real umami flavor to things. So I'll sprinkle it in stews and soups and beef dishes and things. And it adds some nutrition. It adds some adaptogens. If you use too much, you can detect maybe a tiny bit of bitterness. But if you use just a little bit in the coffee, I'm talking about it tastes really good. If it makes you feel good, it makes you happy in the morning. That's all that matters. Which is, I think, why we started talking about coffee, because we're both drinking coffee because it's very early right now. We got a really wonderful new coffee maker for our wedding. Makes it such good coffee. You mentioned that you got a new coffee machine for your wedding. And I will say that we're still using the Chemex. I don't think it's the very one. But when we first got married, we were using a Chemex. And I think maybe our listeners know what that is. It's the one where you, the thing that's shaped like a hourglass and you make pour over. Now we have the automatic one that sort of drips the water through automatically, which is nice. You just you flip a button. But the Chemex has always reminded me of, it's just sort of a, a slower way of making coffee. It's just a little aspect of slow living that we have 
continued through the years of our marriage that we've done from the beginning. I will say, however, that there have been periods in there of Mr. Coffees and so forth. So we've kind of gone back and forth, but we've gone full circle now through a whole series of different kinds of coffee makers and methods and so forth. And But for the last several years now, I think since we've been out here at the farm, we've been using the Chemex. So, well, you've been using the Chemex, but the machine, the automated one. Yes, but yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's still, it's actually called the auto. It's cute. But anyway little aspect of slow living there in the coffee making. Well, we couldn't handle the slow coffee, so we got a really nice machine that makes it fast. (laughs) We've been there too. We've been there too. So (laughs) we'll see how it goes. Keep you updated. So do you want to fill everyone in on your new podcast that launched this week for anyone who hasn't heard it yet? Yes. Speaking of slow living, our new podcast hosted by me um, is called Slow Living Through the Seasons. And just to tell you a little bit about it, we're going to start out doing it once a month. And each episode, we're going to talk about the seasonal shifts and the holidays coming up and the moon phases. And something I really want to feature is gardening by the moon because there's been a lot of interest in that, especially during growing seasons. We'll be talking about seasonal foods and what's going on in the seasonal kitchen, activities and ideas and Questions that might come up out of the Good Dirt interviews that have launched recently or not so recently. Yeah, just all kinds of tips for living a more earth-friendly and sustainable lifestyle, just like we talk about all the time. But just to expand on things maybe that come up in the interviews that we don't have time to really get into. And this is more of like a personal deep dive into your experience as opposed to what we do with our inner interviews, which is we dig around with someone else. But this is more for like Mary Kingsley's personal specific one. And if you're wondering about my experiences, we'll see. Maybe I have a podcast coming up soon too. We don't know yet. Or maybe I can invite you on as a guest. Oh yeah, maybe. Oh, would you Slow living this seasons. (laughs) (laughs) I'll cue you up. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We're, it's really exciting. Um, yeah. It's just, it's really just about bringing our focus to the energy and the vibe of this season, you know, and just bringing ourselves more in sync with the rhythms of the earth, the wheel of the year, so to speak. The more we do that, you know, the more we really will adapt our behavior and our decisions. And really, what everybody's looking for is to slow down and bring more presence and peace of mind to our daily lives. And this is about doing that through a connection with nature and the seasons. Definitely. So if that sounds fun to you, and if you're enjoying this podcast, then we just wanted to mention that we do have a Good Dirt membership within our membership community, which means you are a Good Dirt supporter and you help support this podcast and the growing channel basically that it is and the shows that we're adding and have yet to add that we're excited about as well. And just really helping us even just produce the weekly interview podcast, which is there's so much that goes into it behind the scenes. It's really kind of amazing everything that's got to happen. So we really appreciate you and you can find more information on the Good Dirt Supporters membership on the community tab on our website. So that's separate from the almanac. It's sort of 
on the same platform, but it's a much lower price point per month. So it's just like a Patreon or like a tip jar. And so if you feel inclined to help us keep the shows going, that's for you there. So check out, we'll link it in the show notes. And it's also on the Lady From Her website under the community tab. Okay. So should we get into the episode? Sure. So our guest for today is Emily Prieto co-founder of Seeds of Dow, a company that helps create experiences and opportunities for entrepreneurs to build a more regenerative economy of the future. Emily is an artist, creative designer, and a brand strategist, and is also a permaculture land designer, helping to design both commercial and residential lands for long-term regenerative change. In this conversation, we talk about the family's journey from an experiment with natural building in Montana to their current home on a regenerative farm in Panama and their work building out a bioregional hub or a space for businesses to develop practices that are appropriate to their local region. We're also discussing the idea of a regenerative economy. Doesn't that sound nice? And what that means for businesses to shift from extraction to positive impact and tips for the consumer in spotting greenwashing from companies that claim to be sustainably minded. Emily fluently speaks Spanish and English. She adores Latin American culture and she chooses to build community and regenerative stewardship in the rainforests of Central America alongside her husband and four children. So here is Emily Prieto, co-founder of Seeds of Dow coming to us from her home in Panama. I'm Emily Prieto, and me and my husband have a company called Seeds of Dow, and we help impact entrepreneurs who are starting and growing and scaling their business, their regenerative business to help them become more regenerative or help them to scale their impact in the regenerative movement. A lot of people want to, you know, create this better future. Some people choose through activism, some people choose through grassroots. We are choosing to help the entrepreneurs who are trying to increase their impact and kind of change the narrative. Our background is in marketing and branding. And so... We have entrepreneurship and marketing and branding as a background, but we were doing kind of permaculture and regeneration stuff on the side as a hobby. And we got really disenchanted <laughs> with giving all these amazing, you know, brand storytelling tools to the million dollar companies and the, you know, sexy high growth tech startups. And they were, you know, not doing terrible things, but they weren't necessarily doing great things. And so we decided to break away from our branding agency and try to marry those two things because we really think that the people who are out there trying to create triple bottom line solutions that are helping people, planet, and then also being like a sustainable business, it's really important to get their voices out there. And so we're trying to use our superpowers to help those people. <laughs> That's just a really interesting idea and something that we, I don't think, have really encountered that much. And so it's obviously kind of a leading edge type concept. So it's branding for, you call them regenerative businesses. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Sure. So a regenerative business, and it can be 
like for-profit, not-for-profit, like regenerative enterprise, I guess, think of it in terms of that. Because not everyone's a for-profit. Some of them are NGOs, right? Or Mm -hmm. different types of organizations. But it's basically people who have these enterprises who are trying to get away from the old extractive models, exploitative models, and really create triple bottom line solutions, something that's kind of market viable, that it's able to make money to support itself and to be able to grow. But it's also helping the people involved who it's impacting and who how it's sourcing things. But then it's also positively affecting the planet. We're talking about c- connecting the business or organization to this kind of regenerative energy cycle, I guess. So it's not taking away, it's really giving back, allowing us to move towards a more circular economy, really. Can you tell us a little bit about the title? That's a very interesting title, Seeds of Tao. Yeah. So my husband's really into the Tao Te Ching. We both love to explore different like world religions and stuff, but Taoism... It can be a religion, but it can also just kind of be a way of life. And Tao means the path. And so Seeds of Tao, we're helping entrepreneurs seed paths to a more regenerative economy of the future, basically. So we're helping to plant through existing entrepreneurs and enterprises, but also helping them seed their regenerative seeds to grow their impact. So going back a little bit to your journey and how, because we're talking to you from Colombia, right? Panama. Panama. Oh my gosh. Don't know. It's okay. We're neighbors. We're talking to you from (laughs) Panama. So, okay. So we're talking to you from Panama and you sort of, in your intro, just glazed over the fact that you guys were doing permaculture and, you know, that's like a huge life thing. So what got you to Panama and what got you into that? And I guess, I guess what I'm looking for is sort of, was there a aha moment or a a time when your life shift and was there like a before time or have you always been like into this stuff? So the aha moment happened a lot before Panama because that's only in the last year and a half. But back in, I think about 2012, I was pregnant with our first. Me and my husband were newlyweds living in Salt Lake City. We had that. We just bought a house. We had a car payment. We had, you know, checking off the boxes of all the things that you have to do when you get married, supposedly, right? All the expectations. My husband had a job. I was a stay-at-home going-to-be mom. And my husband had always had this idea where he wanted to build his own house. And I'm just a pure creative at heart. So I'm like, oh, let's design it. Let's da-da-da, right? It's a whole creative project. And I was looking into that. And I'm like, holy crap, this is going to be so expensive to build this house. And so... I just went down a long Google rabbit hole, basically, and ran into natural building. And through that, my eyes just lit up when I found earthbag building, specifically super adobe, they also call it. And I just dove right in and I'm like, Josh, when he got home from work, Josh, we have to build our home out of dirt and it's going to be great. (laughs) And he's like, oh, how pregnant are you? Like, are you okay? Are you still like with me here? And I was like, no, 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 hear me out, hear me out. And so we looked into it and he got all excited too. And then fast forward a couple of years later, we, we had this in our mind. We could not do this in Utah. There was so much red tape. It just was not going to happen. Natural building was kind of our, our gateway to more regenerative living and permaculture. And so the next big step after that, we like sold our house. By then we had two little kids, two under two, 
And we renovated this old Airstream trailer and took off to Montana because in Montana, they don't have strict building codes and we can go build a home out of dirt there. And so we were there for a few years and that just really didn't turn out how we thought. And so that kind of opened our adventurous eyes. But while we were there, I got my permaculture design certificate. And then when we came back to Utah, I was doing some of that work, land regenerative land design on the side of having our branding agency. And then in terms of Panama, an opportunity came up. We're super duper duper connected to the regenerative movement like globally. And through one of our think tanks where entrepreneurs can come and it's just like a free event every month and entrepreneurs come and they share their their challenges and lift each other up and share resources. Anyways, this one fellow showed up on the think tank and was talking to Josh about how he was looking for someone to come help his regenerative farm in Panama to like build up the farm, build up the business model type of a thing. And so Josh asked me, hey, do we know anyone? And I'm like, I want to go do it. We should go do that. Because in college, I majored in Latin American studies and I was just, but then after that, I was a stay-at-home mom. So this was like right up my alley. Like I just, I wanted to go into Latin America and I knew so much, but I wanted like the field experience. And it was like combining my love of permaculture with Latin America. And so we came down here anyways. So that's how we got to Panama. That's not what we're doing currently here, but that's how we got to Panama. (laughs) Did you ever get your dirt house? We started building it. And anyone who knows Super Adobe, it takes a ton of work. And you cannot do that when it's freezing. So meanwhile, while we were building it, I was also super duper pregnant with baby number three. Because <laughs> we had four and five years. So I was constantly with a baby or pregnant. And so it got to chest high. And I was just so pregnant and the winter was coming because we only had a few months of building season. And so we would just work, 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 work. And I'm getting pre- more pregnant and more pregnant and more pregnant. So we did not, we ended up selling the property to, we did a bunch of the land development though, because it was just this raw land hillside. So unfortunately not, maybe still one day. <laughs> so was that something you still want to do though? Like going through the process sort of halfway or did it like, I don't know, did it, quench your thirst for that project and you learned a lot and you know how much goes into it now or like what's that like did it change your mind about it I don't know if I lived in that climate still I would still want to do that living in Panama there's other ways that are better for the climate here they do it a lot in Costa Rica more like bamboo based with wadland dog which is what we're going to do how we're going to build out our bioregional hub here with natural building stuff. So not earthbag specifically, could do it here, but there's some better for the climate, better solutions. <laughs> okay. You just said, what's a bioregional hub? What's that? So remember, we're helping entrepreneurs rewriting entrepreneurial education because all the education that's out there is really based on the extractive systems of the past. And so part of that looks like People being able to learn online the competencies that maybe they didn't have. A lot of people come to impact entrepreneurship through passion of something else, not necessarily passion through business. So helping them to fill out that education side, like marketing, financing, and funding, stuff like that. Another part of that is getting more practice through like incubators and accelerators. But then there's also this third side, which is really because we're in the work of regeneration and we really don't believe that one man is an island, you know, like one man isn't going to change the whole thing. It's not going to be one business and we have to be really 
tuned into our bioregion and how we're affecting our bioregion. And so a bioregional hub, eventually there's going to be like a hub in every bioregion. We're working on the first one in Panama currently, but it's going to be a space where entrepreneurs in this bioregion, for us in the subtropics, can come and learn together about entrepreneurship, yes, but also about the bioregional relevant issues so that they're able to be most effective where they're at and connect to other entrepreneurs in that space so they can weave their work together where they're at, as well as providing educational opportunities for those kind of budding entrepreneurs in the area. Like for here, the Panamanians who have, have, they maybe heard of sustainability, but they really don't know what that looks like. Maybe they need help with their English skills so that they can market better or diversify how they're getting things here. So providing education for locally, but also being able to bring entrepreneurs in, in this similar bioregion to learn together and to weave their work together to increase their impact, essentially. It sounds something like our regional fiber sheds, gathering an interest group around a region. We're fascinated by the idea of bioregions because, of course, we know, you know, state lines and that sort of thing is, those are political designations because of geography. Sometimes, yes, you have a certain geography in a state. It doesn't apply all the time. And in Maryland, for instance, we, you have a coast and you have mountains and you have deep wilderness in the West. And so those are very different bioregions and they need to, they call for different practices and so forth. So I love that you're creating bioregional businesses. That's awesome. I haven't heard of that yet. <laughs> so really cool. Had you heard of it or did you all come up with that? Or Well, we're really connected with other people who are doing similar things, though less in terms of entrepreneurial education. Like we're connected with this group who's building regenerative communities based on bioregions. Or like you said, like a regional fiber shed. Like people are starting to be clued in to the fact that this same model cannot function in Washington, D.C. and in Argentina or in China, right? Like we have to be more relevant than that. And especially as the conversation is moving more towards how is this impacting our world? What specific challenges is our area having? People are acting more consciously in that way. And so it only makes sense for the businesses if they're truly regenerative and truly trying to create positive impact to be impacting the most relevant region around them. Then by relevant, you mean local. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. That like that ties into so many things like that are more sustainable or regenerative, like sourcing locally your food and your daily life. And then in this case, we're saying doing business locally, basically, as much as you can. So let's drill down a little bit and talking about the idea of regenerative economies. For the listener, this, you know, this might be a new term, new idea. Well, how is that different from what's typical in our current systems? Can you give an example or a story of a client or some other example of this idea? So a regenerative economy is different from the current economy because the current economy, the effects are not, you know, they're not measuring that. Businesses are looking at their kind of KPIs, their bottom line, their costs, ratio, that type of thing. They're not looking at the whole process from kind of cradle to grave, where they're getting their things or what those things are doing after the 
client is done with the product or whatever, right? Is it just going into the landfill? Like that's not regenerative at all. It's very linear and it's very extractive because all it's doing is taking, it's not giving back. And so in a regenerative economy, we look at the whole picture. (laughs) Where did those resources start out? If we are extracting them, how are we regenerating those? Or are we working with someone to give back something so that they can regenerate those, right? It's a collaborative thing. One business is not going to become completely regenerative. It's an ecosystem. It's not a single business being able to do this perfectly by any means. And then can we measure more so, not necessarily quantitatively, but even qualitatively, what's the positive impact that we're having on people? What's the positive impact we're having on the bioregion that we're in, the planet? And is it profitable? It could be in terms of money, but money's only one form of capital. And it should be creating a yield, whether that's through profit or not. But regenerative economies are more responsible for what's coming in and what's going out and getting away from kind of the line idea. (laughs) It's more of a circle. (laughs) That's cool. That makes so much sense because yeah, the bottom line, line item, like there's so many things about a line in business, but thinking about it as circular, just even, yeah. What's your bottom circle? If people are confused, if they Google circular economy, it's that same idea. Circular economy is kind of the word to look up. You'll find easier definitions and people into circular economics as opposed to Googling regenerative economics, but it's really the same thing. It just goes to show you how important our language is in our culture, even evolving people's perceptions. Because bottom line is an every, everyday word. That means how much money are you making how, or how much money are you losing? And that's the bottom line. And that's where you look. So I love this so much. Shifting the language to shift perception and then shift behavior and practices and all those things. So can you give us an example of a regenerative enterprise, some, somebody you've been working with? Well, I don't know that I know of any 100% regenerative enterprise, right? It's, it's the goal. What, what shifts can we make to be more regenerative? So there's one company who we're working with out of Colombia. It's a more of a personal development side, right? Because we can't be regenerative in only our businesses. It doesn't stop there. If we're not being able to be regenerative in our personal lives, that's going to be kind of the bottleneck in terms of our growth Mm -hmm. and impact. Mm -hmm. And so she's having this multiplier for this mindset change of connecting with ourselves on a deeper level, balancing out our spiritual side, as opposed to like our driven type A personality side. So she's helping to train mentors and coaches and things like that, but then they can go on and have that positive impact there. Meanwhile, they've also developed an eco-village. And so they're working a lot locally and they have events there where people can come and get involved and at the space, but also online. So they're like really not extractive, but they're trying to positively multiply the impact that other people are having but that's more of a, not like a product product, right? It's like a service thing. But I know some, I know there's another business that is working on specifically trying to kind of rewrite the linear aspect of the fashion industry, right? And so they're taking waste from the fashion industry, literally like used clothing and being able to process that to turn it into hangers, to turn it into other fabric, right? Taking that kind of gap, that kind of grave 
area of the cradle to grave and trying to give it a longer life, trying to repurpose it so that the fashion industry as a whole isn't as extractive. So it's from what I've seen, it's it's not, like I said before, it's not going to be one business that is completing the whole circle, but many people coming and handling different aspects of the circle. We know people in Africa who are working on developing Fonio, which is this amazing regenerative grain. It goes really quick. It's not extractive to the soil at all. It's actually really great for the soil. And that's like a food product that they're trying to replace other extractive grains that we eat with. But again, it's pieces of a larger ecosystem. It's all of these businesses seeing opportunities. Oh, well, this is a waste product or this isn't being regenerated enough, that type of thing. And then filling that need and trying to add those micro changes to the larger regenerative economy change. Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. It just occurred to me as we're talking how extractive the tech industry is and like the devices that we're even talking on right now and the devices we use every single day. Is anyone in the tech industry like thinking about this? To me, being someone who runs an online business about sustainability and regeneration, it feels like a big irony. And I just wonder if you know anything about that or anyone who's doing any work in that space or like how do we we make that less extractive because like it is fundamentally literally pulling things out of the earth, <laughs> creating these things that like can't be recycled. So I know it's one of those things we can't get too hung up on it and feel terrible. Like we're just, you know, feeding into the system because we're also trying to move away from the system. Like we don't want to stay in that place of like guilt and shame, but we need to be aware but it makes of it. so many things possible that wouldn't otherwise be possible. Yeah, so Exactly. I know that there are people in this space and they're really thinking about it. There is one organization who actually just reached out to me today, but they are in Indonesia and they are doing e-waste recycling and things like that. I also know of some waste-free NGOs who are trying to handle e-waste as well as other things and repurposing as much as possible. So there are definitely people out there. Unfortunately, I see it 
as a lot of NGOs, and sometimes NGOs have a hard time getting their voices out there, which is unfortunate, which is who we're trying to help get their voices out there, because it's important for people to know (laughs) that these are solutions. But people are definitely out there and trying to work through this, for sure. Independent businesses, not just like your recycling company who does whatever with e-waste, like actual enterprises. It should be the responsibility of the corporations that are making the thing, though. I agree. That Well, that would be a regenerative way to go about it. And they're clearly not. And what would make them do that? Like policy, I guess? Policy is an aspect of that. That's the thing. It, it goes back to how do we create re- regenerative change in the economy? Policy is definitely an aspect of that. Part of it's also newer companies showing that they can be responsible with that and setting a new bar just in the market, right? Because in general, if there is two comparable solutions, but one is clearly better for the environment, consumers are going to choose that one. We're getting to a point consumers are more conscious of that and they want to see brands doing better. The question is, is it on the market? Because if it's on the market, then people can make that decision. But the other companies who aren't there yet have to step up. The trick is cutting through the greenwashing though, because the big businesses will say they're doing all of it, but it's a lot of greenwashing. Yeah. And you know, we always end up circling back to this or often anyway, how much is the consumer being informed so they can demand what they want to engage in, what what businesses they want to support? Is that it? Or, you know, that that puts a lot of responsibility on consumer and just a, a lot of education, a lot of education. That's why we're doing this podcast. Whereas, you know, why can't the policymakers and so forth, you know, look at the statistics? Why can't they take the holistic view and make changes from the top? Some of them actually are, and you probably work with some of them. What business or organization might be your typical client? And when they come to you, what stage are they? Are they typically in the very beginning? Like we want to do this thing and you help them evolve it? Or are they midstream and they want to come in and make corrections? Okay. So back to your first question. Yes, people are voting with their dollar every time they make a purchase, but it's really hard to figure out what the actual effect of that dollar is having, like you said, just because of the sheer lack of transparency and unfortunately greenwashing. Marketing is an amazing tool, but it's only a tool. It can be used for evil or for good. And a lot of people are using it for evil and it gets a really bad rap, right? Because really it should just be a way to tell your story and connect with the people to show them the type of transformation that you're trying to get across. So we're coming to a time, policy is going to be a part of that again, but another part of that is entrepreneurs and enterprises rising up and being transparent. There needs to be a new level of transparency and accountability so that consumers don't have to go search for all of that stuff. Because let's be honest, if a big business doesn't want the customers to find out, they're going to make it pretty difficult for them to find out where they're sourcing their things, how they're sourcing their things. And that's like, people don't have time to go research every single purchase all the time. And so, you know, slow and small solutions, one thing at a time. What's one little change that I can make? I know you guys talk about slow living and that's a lot of consciousness that comes with slow living. And so what small changes can we make? But looking at the businesses that are being transparent, you can see, especially if it's not the huge big brands that have all the you know millions of dollars in greenwashing, you can see the companies that are really trying to create a positive change, but they're transparent about what they're doing and they're sharing their story because that's, that's really 
Where, why are they coming to it? Is it just for profit or is it really to create a positive change? And you can usually get a pretty good idea if you've been watching a brand long enough. So paying attention to those brands and not assuming that easiest solution, which is usually, you know, whatever's in Walmart, whatever's in Target is necessarily the best solution because there's a lot of different options out there more and more every day, which is great in terms of the people that we're helping. There's kind of three different groups that we are finding. One of those is kind of the solopreneur. Entrepreneurs have to wear a lot of hats. They have to have their hands in all parts of their business. And a lot of times they just don't know North from South about marketing. That wasn't their background, but they know they have to market their services. And so we help those entrepreneurs specifically who don't come from that background, but they're also wanting to use marketing and brand storytelling in a good way as opposed to an evil way, because that really is the way to cut through the greenwashing is to share your authentic story to the right people in the right way. And that's what we help them do. The second group that comes to us is those that are not necessarily the the solopreneur, but the small team. Maybe they have some marketing knowledge, but not enough to the point where they can really build out sustainable systems, or maybe they're having a hang up in their market research because they don't really know how to do their market research and segment their audience. There is just a couple gaps in there, but they know some about marketing. So we, we work with their teams to fill in any holes or if they aren't able to hire person to handle the market research, like we can, we fill in that way. And then the third group that comes to us is those who are ready to build out their marketing team. They need help building out their marketing team. They need kind of like a fractional CMO but that has a background in regenerative business and doesn't just want to necessarily see what, you know, HubSpot and everyone is saying how to do it, but do it in a really regenerative, holistic way while being responsible and true to their message. Okay. That's so interesting. You have a wide range of clients. You have a wide range of experiences going there. Just backing up to transparency and and mission. It's pretty evident that People, entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and so forth, they don't go into this type of thing thinking they're going to make a bunch of money. They come to it out of passion, out of a sense of mission. Then that's where people hit a wall, just to your point about the small team and the solopreneur. I don't know. Is that a good guide for the consumer? Is to, you know, is this a small company? How did they get started? Are small companies necessarily the place to go or to turn for this type of thing we're looking for? It can be. It's a matter of there's kind of a tipping point where the business is small, but it has to be big enough to be competitive. Because if it's going to be five times as much, like it's just not as realistic for people to make that switch. But the things with the companies nowadays is a lot of them are selling so much of their story because they want people to get on their story to back them. And so there's more ways to engage with a brand that you're really, really into and you really want to see get to that tipping point than just buying their product, which is really cool. There didn't used to be all these different ways that you could interact with brands. And so now we're at a time where, you know, you say, you okay, I want to change my toothpaste or whatever, right? Because I get canker sores because I have SLS in my toothpaste. And I found this little toothpaste company let's say, and they are sustainably sourcing their stuff. They have like recyclable packaging. They're being really responsible and they're accessible, but maybe they're a little bit higher price. I mean, first, of course, you can vote for them with your dollar and actually buying their 
their product. But chances are, as with most newer businesses now, they have different ways to get involved. They have communities, they have Patreon, they have perks for getting involved or even like affiliate stuff. It's all about that network marketing now. So you can be really involved in their story and then you take that story on you. If you know it's a story that you really align with, yes, you can buy their product, but you can also really become an evangelist for them. And that helps them to build up enough so that they can be more viable, more sustainable of an enterprise. So it's really kind of a cool phase where we're at in time where businesses are being built out as more like a person than just this sign. <laughs> yeah. And you've used the word story several times. And I think that's so key nowadays in the world of social media and, and people's blogs. And really, you know, you go in and you want to know all about them. And I know now that when I'm checking out a new brand, the first thing I'll go to is about us. I want to know about them. And of course, we work in this sector and we we talk to people personally, but the more I transition to the most sustainable companies or the most regenerative companies that I can find, the more I want to know about them personally. And you get a sense, you get a sense of the level of greenwashing, the authenticity and all that when you know their stories. I would add that it kind of sounds like we're saying the only way is like small is like the only thing. I don't think that's like necessarily true. I think that there are much bigger companies that have the that can make the impact, that can make a better product, that the product is really good and they can do it at an affordable price. So I don't want to be, you know, saying like if there's no about us with the life story, then it's then it's crap or whatever. I think that's like that can be a good measure. But I think since you're a marketer and this is your profession, Emily, how can we educate the consumer? To know what's happening when they're being marketed to them, because it's it can when they're being marketed to, because it can be so subliminal, you know, all of those. It can be really sneaky, yeah. Like it's happening, and you don't even know that it's going on. Right. So, what are some things to look for? What are some things to know that like we can trust it, or like you know something that's good or like not good? And sometimes there's a gray area. Aside from the, I think that what we just talked about is one of the ways. You know, like there's a personal story, there's a person, but I don't. That's not the only thing, and that people have figured out how to trick you that way too. So, like, what do you have to say to someone who is not aware of the tricks of the trade of marketing and how they can watch out for it. And what do we bring as part of our tools of discernment when we're approaching these things? Sure. So I totally agree with what you were saying, Emma. It's not just the little small businesses. Me and my husband have made a swap just like the brands of shoes that we buy. And instead of buying shoes that we can find here, unfortunately, we can't find any alternative brands in Panama, like at all. It's really terrible. But we've chosen to go with brands that are more transparent, like Vivo Barefoot and Allbirds. And those are bigger businesses. Are they 100% regenerative? No, but they're highly conscious. And they're they're showing you, if you follow along with their story, over time, like you build a relationship with anyone, it's over time and seeing their actions, not just looking on their site one time. Maybe you get a small connection, but it's part of character, right? You see their character as you follow along with them. And those are brands that we've really identified with and we agree with how they're going about things. But things to look out for, look out for the buzzwords that are just used as buzzwords that actually mean nothing. Like they're literally just keywords. Keywords are great. They're not, again, they're not inherently good or evil, but marketers will always use keywords because they're trying to make things relevant. But there are a lot of kind of greenwashing keywords like all natural is really kind of 
gray and open as opposed to all natural shirt, as opposed to like 100% organic cotton locally farmed or whatever, right? If people are really trying to give you more sustainable products, they're going to be more specific as opposed to all natural or chemical free is still kind of like chemical free. What does that mean? Where they're not really specific because the people who are really doing it and are really passionate about want to show you how authentic they are. Sustainably sourced, hmm, maybe that would be worth looking into because how do they define sustainable, right? You just have to be a little bit skeptical. Like, is there wiggle room in that statement that they just said? How do they define that? Decreasing their footprint great. How much are they even measuring their footprint? What do they even measure as a footprint? Because people can, unfortunately, they can be really picky and choosy and they're going to be, especially bigger businesses that are really extractive. They're going to be really picky and choosy about what you see because it's all about framing. It's always all about framing. Sales, marketing, everything, your interactions with people, it's about framing. And so being a, a little bit skeptical Being curious, really. Be curious. Not assuming that everyone's out to get you, but be curious. Oh, you say that, but what do you mean by that, right? Can I find out more? But then really also just having the patience to sit back and watch. Like I said, it takes time to build a relationship with a person. It takes time to build a relationship with a brand because then you see what they're actually doing. Working off of those relationships is a way better way to make decisions. That's helpful. Thank you. That's a great toolkit you just gave us. So I want to hear about your work in regenerative land design. Are you still doing that at all? I'm not doing it in the same way, but yes, I'm still doing it. So when we were in Utah, I would deal with clients. We were very involved in our local permaculture guild. I was like the vice president of our local permaculture guild, right? And so people would come in and need help designing their like tiny little plot of land in the city or like, I just bought 15 acres out in the country and I want to turn it into a regenerative homestead. So I was dealing with that bioregion, which is like desert, but temperate, but really dry. And so I was doing a lot of that work there. When we came down here, I know enough about permaculture and land design to assume that I know nothing here because the seasons, we have two seasons. We do not have four seasons. It is wet or it is dry and things change a lot and the plants are totally different and grow different and you don't have normal seasons. So I am, we've been here for in a year and a half and I have definitely been diving in and talking with farmers and talking about how this plant is doing, what it is doing and, you know, just the new truths about the ecosystem because it's completely topsy-turvy to Utah. But as we're currently looking at land for the bioregional hub, which it's going to be an education space, but it's also got to be a a revenue generating thing to be contributing to the local community. Part of that is going to be a regenerative farm. And so we're currently building the companion planting, you know, kind of like the patterns to build from no matter what kind of land we're on here that work with the climate. But also there's a huge issue here about pesticide and fertilizer, there are absolutely no realistic organic options on the market. Like people would love to do it, but they can't even buy it at all. And so we're talking with other people 
in our bioregion, because it has to be our bioregion because they share the same plants as us, to look at different solutions so that maybe we can make something like that on the farm, some type of natural pesticide using avocado pits or using neem trees or different things, different combinations so that we can have kind of the solution in the market. But we're not physically working on the land yet, but we're working in that design space because once we get the land, we have to know. We have to start planting trees, right? <laughs> That's super cool. And what are you going to have on the farm? Like animals and plants or? Some animals. Animals are great and they're really important to the ecosystem, but only in balance. You don't want to find yourself overgrazing or wiping things out. It's actually like a huge plague of Panama is they've burned the rainforest and they just throw cattle on it. Like they've made man-made deserts in Panama from overgrazing their cows like deserts in Panama. It doesn't even make sense. And so the cattle industry is really bad here. Really bad. Like you're just watching the rainforest get cut down or burned. You're watching getting burned down and then they throw a bunch of cows on there and you're like, come on, people, come on. So for us, more sustainable livestock options for us on the bioregional hub would be more poultry and like goats. But there's an ecological value to having some bigger animals. But due to the fact that we're probably going to try to bring the ecotourism side in, we it may just end up being like two horses on the property or something. They graze differently than the smaller animals do. They fertilize differently than the smaller animals do. But everything in proportion and in balance with what the land can hold and is beneficial for it, of course. And bees, of course. Everyone should have bees, always. So that leads to your family's work in the rainforest? So when we got here, we were living on that permaculture-designed farm on the other side of Panama. We're currently on the other side. This is on the previous side. And we were on a 10-hectare farm. So I think that's like, I'm so bad with the conversions. I think that's like 18 acres or something for those not thinking in metric. So we were working there. It was partially permaculture designed, but the forest was like clearly taking over. And the forest here, it gets dense enough where if a plane crashes into the forest, it will not touch the ground. Like it, the forest will catch the plane. It's a thing. So when I say the forest is taking over, <laughs> it's like a big deal because it's like really thick, really thick, right? And so we were working with a the farmhand there, learning as much as we could about the balances, about the insane pest problems that Panama has because of all its importation of products, all of that stuff. So currently... We're out in, we used to call it the magical land of Chiriqui because the entire food basket of Panama, what it does make and does not import, which is not that much, comes from Chiriqui, which is where we're living now. But there's also lots of cattle land here. So in terms of how our work in the rainforest, we're going to be rehabilitating the forest within reason. We're going to be rehabilitating the forest, but that doesn't mean letting just the natural forest come and take over on the bioregional hub. We're talking about 30, 40, 50 acres worth of forest regeneration because we're going to be buying land that has been decimated and turned into cattle land and trying to rehabilitate that. But as we talked about our choices, you know, we vote with our dollar. Our family, which is a family of six, has been eating mostly vegan, but absolutely not beef while we've been here. That's our way to contribute to the beef industry or to not contribute to the beef industry here. We vote with our dollar that way because it's just really terrible. Other than that, I, we're working with, we homeschool and there is a local 
kind of expat community here. And I'm hoping in the next year or so to start kind of a kids nature group and get them out hiking and learning about the rainforest so that they can become advocates for the rainforest as well. Meanwhile, we're also networking with a lot of farmers here, younger generation farmers, because the older generation's farmers don't care. They just want to make money and they'll spray whatever they want. But the younger generation farmers really want to know how to do it better. And so we're currently networking with them and they'll be partners in the bioregional hub to try to change the way that things are done here. Wow. Is there any regenerative farming happening, like growing grass and rotational grazing and stuff, or is that just not? No, not at all. You see hydroponics and stuff come up, but that's, I mean, it's all in plastic. It's not. That's about the only kind of advanced agricultural things that we've seen is like hydroponics, which is still not where it could be. Not even aquaponics, which should be obvious here because there's not even a winter to freeze. Everyone should have tilapia here. Everyone. So I assume from what you're saying that there's no hint of like regenerative grazing or regenerative meat production. Well, saying that chicken here is more regenerative because it's not factory farmed like in the US. Like a lot of people just have some land and they have a bunch of chickens. And so we always joke around about when we moved here, we found that the eggs were fluorescent orange because they just free range because they can only buy so much food for them. And so, and there's so many bugs here all the time. We don't have like a cold winter when there's not bugs. There is never not bugs in Panama. And so the chickens Mm -hmm. can eat a lot, right? And so chicken is done just naturally more regeneratively because they are allowed to free range because no one's keeping them in cages in tiny little cages and things. So there's that. So it's really just the cow and beef products like the cheese because that is on the opposite side. That's all factory farm sounds like. It's not factory farm. It's small farmers buying land and do. it's not like we say factory farm like in the States factory farm. It doesn't look like that. What you find is big pieces of there's the forest and then it ends And then it's just grass and there's cows on it. They're not eating anything down to the dirt because things grow so fast here. But the forest can't grow. It's taken down to grassland, which is totally unnatural in Panama. So what you just said about the chicken, that reminds me so much. We were in Africa in 2004 in Tanzania. And, you know, I came away from that thinking in some ways the people that live there in the little villages ate better than us in America in some ways because they had their chicken, they might have had their goat, they foraged things like avocados and things and bananas and things that were just all around. And they, you know, they had the raw milk right there outside their little house. And their teeth were also beautiful. And yes, it was like amazing. It's glowing. People were glowing. <laughs> beautiful. That experience and that observation had a big impact on me and probably led in large part led to, you know, what we're doing now, like just to see that like people living right next to the land and how they were able to eat, even though they were very, very poor people, they did not have money. So, so interesting. So, you know, to your point about the regenerative chickens, they're raised that way. They don't know that, what that meant to write it. That's just the way you do chickens <laughs> in your backyard, which is so ironic because it's so much more expensive and like bougie to get chickens that way here. So, and we're not that far away from people doing it. My grandmother had chickens in her backyard in suburban Memphis. You know, she just did it. And on Sunday, they would go out there and get their chicken for dinner. That's the way they did it. So we're not that far from that. That's also kind of what you see here where like we label it as like gorilla gardening, like taking back over places to plant gardens. But people just do that here, except for the higher end homes. 
that's what's interesting here, right? Because that for them, everything is all manicured and taken care of and fertilized. But if you go to the like the Panamanians who are not super well off, they've got guandu, which is a bean. It grows in a few months and then they harvest all the guandu and then they sell the guandu and they eat the guandu, guandu and rice. They have banana trees in their front yard. They're growing yuca, which is a tuber, like a big potato kind of. They're growing these things, they're growing plantains on little pieces that they have, but that's just part of what you do unless you have too much money and you can just buy it all. It's like a poor thing here, but it's so backwards. Their manicured lawns show their status and show their wealth. That's very prevalent. How we- much longer are we going to like care about that? I don't know. Yeah. It seems so relevant. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast enough, yeah. you'll Hopefully. get that message. <laughs> So, Emily, you seem like a really positive and uplifting kind of person. So I imagine that this isn't hard for you. But working in the space that you're working, as we are, just being faced every day and being so aware of all of the challenges and all of the horrible things for the environment and the world. What keeps you hopeful and inspired? Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up because it that's a real thing. And there's a whole like eco grief movement, you know, like. It's a heavy thing. Like we are literally facing something that our effort alone is won't seem like it changes. So why do we keep doing it? For me, it's not even just about a better future for my kids because it's so much more than that. Like, yeah, I hope they can learn from us and keep that going and and multiply that as well. But for me, I am so incredibly inspired to be working with the people who I'm working with. Being connected in this movement, you can see so many people all over the world trying to make this positive change and working together to create new solutions that were never even on the table 10 years ago. Like you're seeing people make progress and we're like this edge culture, the sustainability regenerative movement. It's this edge, but we're not really into the mainstream yet. But every time you see someone kind of hop the fence, it's like, oh, they got an NBC or they got their voice out there in this way that's not part of the edge culture. It's so inspiring. And so I just try when I get so overwhelmed and I do, especially living where I do. And this is just not part of people's conversation. They look at us sideways like, oh, this is some weird gringo thing sustainability, weird gringo. And we're like, no, guys, you don't get it. This is for everyone. And for those listening, gringo is like white person, right? Oh, yeah, white person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the foreigners here. But focusing on the amazing things that are happening because they are, they are, they've been behind the scenes for so long. And we're finally coming to see this start to become more of the conversation. And people are doing such amazing things. So you just look to them and take some of their light if you feel like you don't have some of yours and then try to amplify yours and share it with someone else because it really is going to make a difference. It really is. And we're seeing that. Yeah. Even if it's just on how you feel, I think that the way that we feel can affect the world, obviously, because it affects those around us. So even if it's just your feelings and you can turn those feelings towards hope, it's helpful. I agree with you so much by being inspired by other people because that's exactly the way I feel about this podcast. You know, you talk to all these people that are just having all these great ideas and implementing them and spreading their passions and philosophies and approaches and practices. And it's just, it really, really, really is inspiring. It is somewhat of an antidote to what you described as eco-grief, which truly is a real thing. But what does slow living mean to you? And how are you able to do it in your life? With four kids. (laughs) Four kids and being an entrepreneur and homeschooling. Yeah. That makes it more important though. The quicker your life 
feels like it's moving, the more important slow living is. For me, I think that slow living is really intentional, conscious living. It's like Viktor Frankl, where he talks about the space between stimulus and response. And if you increase that space, that gives you more power to decide. And so if we can increase that space in our day-to-day, it feels slower because we're giving it space, but it allows us to step in in this new level of consciousness and therefore a new level of power to be really powerfully making the decisions that we're doing and then living that way, perpetuating that. That is so fundamental to the whole thing. Observation, intentionality, consciousness. It's just, it's really, it. there's nothing it doesn't apply to. <laughs> and, and it's people, a lot of people are just so blinded by it because they don't think about it. They just go on because that's what's there and that's what's happening. And so obviously that's what you do. But it's like you don't know what you don't know. And so many people just don't even see that that's an option because they're just they're just moving, just moving through it and trying to get to the end of the day and to the next day and just keep doing what they're doing, right? But it's something everyone can do. It's It doesn't have a price point. It doesn't have an entry barrier. It's just a matter of a, a mindset set shift and everyone can do that. Just to the, the fact of questioning collective assumptions things like this is the way it's done because why? And you know, you fill in that blank for yourself. So much power, so much power. So what does the good dirt mean to you? I think that that really means our connection with the earth for me. Mm. Like the good dirt is mother earth. So many people are not leveraging that connection, but it really is a powerful source of energy. And I'm not even talking about getting super woo-woo with this. Like you can totally get super woo-woo and that's, you know, go gravy. But even just connecting with nature is the good dirt. We need the good dirt in our fingernails. We need the good dirt in between our toes, that grounding force of connectedness, which is really what on a big scale, that's what mother earth is. That's what we are all connected to. The mycelia, the connection point for human beings all across the board. And So many people, it's, you know, it's a plague right now. People feeling isolated and alone and so worn down because they feel that disconnection. If they would only connect with that mother earth, connect with that good dirt, they can connect with everyone and that can change everything. So good. So true. (laughs) Even the word, like, I don't know what this has never, well, it's occurred to me before, I guess, but I haven't like said it out loud. Like the word grounded is like the ground. Like, it's just so just being on the ground, grounded. And then the way that makes changes your literal, your biology, everything. Yeah. And you just feel so much better. It's amazing. Well, this has been so awesome. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Is there anything else that you want to leave with the listeners or that you want people to understand about the work that you're doing? I would invite everyone to be curious about how they're making their decisions and be curious if they're doing business in a certain way, you know, maybe there's a better way to do it, to further weave their work with other people who are trying to increase their positive impact because people are doing it. It's happening. It's it's a global movement right now and everyone can get involved at some level. And by getting involved, that's how you're really able to not only amplify your impact, but amplify the impact of those who are amplifying their impact, right? It's like a multiplication thing. It's an exponential growth. Get involved however you can, whether that's just as a consumer, whether that's an entrepreneur that has a small business, how can we be less extractive and more circular with it? Everyone can live a higher level of consciousness and connect a little bit more with the movement. 
tell us how to get in touch with you uh, or tell us how our listeners can find out more about you and your business and what you're doing and your you have courses is that do I understand that correctly yeah so seedsofdow.com dow is t a o seeds of dow.com we also have a podcast and so that's on all the platforms as well there's a number of different ways that we help entrepreneurs getting their message out, but also we have like the think tank events that helps entrepreneurs from all over the place come together and collaborate and corroborate and share resources type of a thing, as well as the courses that we do have to help them cut through the greenwashing with their message and build up those marketing competencies so that they can be as effective as possible because their messages are so important and they need to get them out there in a powerful way to the right people and not just be swallowed up by the big guys screaming into the microphone. So... Well, I've learned so much from this and what a great conversation. And I've taken a whole bunch of notes. <laughs> so thank you. You're so very articulate and passionate and just a really great channel for these ideas to move into the world and to help people in business to tr really transform what we've got going on. So just thank you so much for your time today. It was great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a fun conversation. Yeah, so nice meeting you. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow-living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye. <laughs>